You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would open up your Bibles with me now to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, and I want to share with you a message entitled, Take Up the Mantle. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and they said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elisha and they said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And so he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And after there were 50 men of the sons of the prophets, they went and they stood facing them at a distance. And while the two of them stood by the Jordan, now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into pieces. And then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, and he said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Let's pray together. Father, we come before your word now, and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us clearly. 
And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the book of 1 Kings, we have a historical record of the nation of Israel's continued decline into greater depths of depravity. And one of the reasons for their regression was because of the ungodly leadership of their kings. Within the northern kingdom, every king that took the throne was more evil, more wicked than the king before him. And one of the worst kings that ever sat upon the throne was a man named Ahab. In fact, the Bible tells us that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. To make matters worse... He was married to a woman named Jezebel who was extremely influential in leading the people into complete idolatry. Yet in the midst of the darkness of King Ahab's reign and the perversion of the people and the idolatrous practices, the Lord raised up a man whose name means my God is Jehovah, Elijah. And he gave him a prophetic word for his generation. It had been a long time since the Lord had spoken to his people through direct revelation. Yet with the arrival of Elijah, the Lord was speaking once again. And Elijah would be the man that God would use to expose the sins of the people and announce God's judgment. But he would also call the nation back to the worship of the living God that would spark revival. And there were certain characteristics that marked Elijah's ministry. For one thing, Elijah's ministry was marked by obedience. The Bible doesn't give us much of a backstory on Elijah. He emerges from the desert area of Gilead. And all that we can safely assume is that the Lord had prepared his prophet in private. Somewhere in the refining processes of God and his choosing, the eyes of the Lord had gone to and fro throughout the whole earth and found a man whose heart was loyal toward him and he was going to show himself strong. On his behalf, throughout the scriptures, so many of God's servants have been prepared in places of obscurity. Moses in the desert, David in the shepherd field, John the Baptist in the wilderness, and Jesus in Nazareth. But the Lord called Elijah into the public arena and commanded him to go and speak to wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, a word of rebuke. And obediently, Elijah went into the presence of the king with a one-point sermon. And he said, as the Lord God Israel lives whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Elijah was obedient to the command of the Lord within his life. But not only was his ministry marked by obedience, but it was also marked by faith. Due to his pronouncement of judgment upon the kingdom, Elijah was a wanted man. And the Lord instructed Elijah to go eastward and hide. And while he was there, he was to stay at the brook Cherith. And he was told that ravens would bring him his food. It took great faith 
to believe that birds would bring his breakfast and that the brook Cherith in the midst of a drought would not dry up but would sustain him. Then when the brook did dry up and the ravens no longer came, Elijah was then instructed to take another step of faith and to go to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, Elijah stayed in the home of a poor widow and they were sustained by a small amount of flour and oil that did not run out. That took faith. And Elijah's ministry was also marked by great power. While Elijah stayed with the widow, her son became ill and died. And she pleaded with Elijah for the life of her son. And through the power of Almighty God, that dead boy was raised back to life. Elijah's ministry was also marked by revival within his generation. As Elijah stood Upon Mount Carmel in confrontation with the prophets of Baal, all the altars were to be built, sacrifices were to be offered, and the God that answered by fire, that was going to be the true God of Israel. And so the prophets of Baal and Asherah began with all of their incantations and chantings to their false God, yet there was no answer. And so they cried louder, still nothing. They began to inflict themselves with pain and cut themselves and leaping about and pleading for a response and nothing came. And then came Elijah's turn and he repaired the altar with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and he dug a trench around the altar. He prepared the sacrifice. He poured out water three times upon the sacrifice and then he cried out to God and he said, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the Lord answered with fire and the people fell down before God and they began to worship and they began to say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the prophets of Baal were then put to death. And then Elijah upon the mountain began to pray for rain. And seven times he prayed until a cloud the size of a man's fist was seen upon the horizon. And after three years of drought, the rain came. And although it was temporal, the nation was revived. However, the Lord informed Elijah that his ministry was coming to an end. His ministry that brought about revival would be no more. This presented a great concern to the people, and it especially concerned Elisha, who was his assistant. What would Elisha do without Elisha there any longer? Who would go, where would Elisha go for counsel? Who would serve as a model to emulate, an example to follow? Who would keep the revival fires burning if Elijah was no longer there? Elijah was like a father to Elisha. And Elisha, coming to grips with Elijah's departure, realized that he was in desperate need. He came to the conclusion that what he needed more than anything else was a greater work of God's Spirit within his life. He recognized his need, and so he asked for a double portion of God's Spirit. Men, in one sense, the Elijah of this movement has gone home to be with the Lord. And Pastor Chuck's ministry was characterized by obedience, 
Obedience to the call of God upon his life and upon his wife Kay's life. He modeled, he taught us repeatedly what it was to trust God, what it was to live by faith. It was his stories of steps of faith that inspired men in this room to take their own steps of faith. It was his venturing out in faith and trusting God that inspired us to take our ventures of faith and to go into the territories that God had allotted for us. His ministry was characterized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, it sparked revival in the heart of not just one generation, multiple generations. And in light of that fact... And still many of us coming to grips with the reality that he's not here any longer. I feel strongly today that we need a double portion of God's spirit for such a time as this. A greater work of God's spirit in our day. And I believe this. I believe that God is not reluctant to pour out his spirit. He promised it. Jesus said it, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? I also know that the Bible says God hasn't changed, that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. And I know the heart of man hasn't changed. It's still as sick and sinful as it has ever been. And I know that the power of the gospel certainly hasn't changed. It still transforms lives, making men from dead men into alive, bringing us into a place of a new creation. And I believe that the Lord desires to pour out his spirit in greater measures in these last days That the word of the Lord to us is do not remember the former things. Behold, I will do a new thing and now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? And I say in response to that, God, I want to know it. I want to experience it, Lord. I want to see it in my generation. Please, God, let us be a part of it. For the man here today who desires a greater work of God's spirit within his life, a double portion as it were, there are a few things from Elisha's life that I want to make note of. For one thing, for a man to experience a greater work of God's spirit within his life, listen carefully, he must understand and accept his calling. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it is written there that Elijah had been given some instructions from the Lord. And one of those things that he was to do was to go to Elisha and to anoint him as the prophet to take his place. And so Elisha went and he found, or Elijah went and found Elisha. And he was plowing in the field, the Bible says, with 12 yoke of oxen. And he came alongside of him and he threw his mantle over him. And by this demonstration, he gave Elisha the opportunity to follow in his ministry. It was similar to Jesus saying to his disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they left everything, the Bible says, and they followed Jesus. Elisha was a man that knew what he was called to do. And this calling that Elisha received, it didn't come from Elijah. 
Ultimately, it came from God. God was the one who selected Elisha. God was the one who gave him that position of prophet. And when Elisha was called, he took the yoke, the Bible says, and the oxen, and he slaughtered them. And it's this picture of, I am all in. I am completely committed. I know what my calling is, and I want to seek to fulfill it without any turning back. Charles Spurgeon said the first sign of a heavenly call is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. And in order to have a true call to the ministry, there must be an irresistible, overwhelming, craving, and raging thirst for telling others what God has done to our own souls. He went on to say, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. He said, if any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor, a grocer, a farmer, a doctor, a lawyer, a senator, or a king, he said, in heaven's name, before heaven and earth, let him go his way. He is not a man in whom dwells the Spirit of God in its fullness. For a man so filled with God would utterly be weary of any pursuit but that for which his inmost soul pants. He said, if on the other hand, you can say that for all the wealth of the Indies, you could not and dare not espouse any other calling so as to put aside from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then depend upon it. If other things be equally satisfactory, you have the signs of apostleship and we must... We must feel that woe is unto us if we do not preach the gospel. The word of God must be like a fire within our bones. Listen, the Bible says that the Lord has called some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That is a calling that comes from God. That is a calling that is not from men. You don't receive that call when you get your ordination certificate. That is not what validates your calling. You are called long before that. God said to Jeremiah, before you were ever a thought, before you were ever created, I knew you then and I called you by name. Men, you've been called. We have to know our calling and we have to stand in that calling. Paul said it this way. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Like Elisha, Paul knew his calling. Any man that puts himself in the ministry is in danger to himself and to the people that he seeks to minister to. And if we as pastors, under shepherds of the great shepherd of the sheep, long for a greater move of God's spirit within our lives, we need to know what we are called to do and we must do it. Some men have forgotten what it is to be a pastor, what it is to be a shepherd. Shepherds are with the sheep, among the sheep. Caring for the sheep, loving the sheep, protecting the sheep, feeding the sheep. I was recently approached by a young man who came into our fellowship. He was aware of the ministry. And in our church, probably like many of you, if I see someone that I don't know, I make it a priority to go up to them and introduce myself. And as I went to this young man, he was surprised, shocked that I had come up to him and spoke with him 
And he made a comment that grieved me greatly. He said, you guys are like rock stars. And I lovingly reproved this young man. And I said, we are not rock stars. We are not celebrities. We are servants. We're shepherds. In fact, the Bible says we are unprofitable servants. We were just doing what we were asked to do. That's what we are. Rejoice, not that you're being used by God, but that your name is written in the book of life. And as shepherds, we realize and remember that the people do not exist for us. We exist for them. And we are not to make a name for ourselves, but to make the name of Jesus great. There's only one name that can save a man's soul from eternal damnation in hell. And it's not your name, and it's not my name. It's the name that's above every name. It's the name of Jesus. And that is the name that we proclaim. And it's easy to lose sight of what we're called to do. But listen, brothers, if we're confused or if we've forgotten what our calling is, listen to what the apostle Peter said. He said, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory it doesn't fade away. Men, do you know what you're called to do? Are we doing what we're called to do? The man that desires a greater work of God's spirit within his life has an understanding of his calling. But the second thing that is equally important is he must be faithful in that calling. When Elijah began his ministry, he began as a servant to Elijah for several years. He was known as the man who poured water on the hands of Elijah, which implied that he was his servant and a faithful one at that. It's one thing to know what you're called to be, but it's quite another to be faithful in that calling that you have received, especially when it is difficult. You men know it's not always easy to be faithful When you're planting a church with limited resources, limited assistance, it is a test to your resolve in the area of faithfulness on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. There have been plenty of times when the enemy comes and whispers in your ear and mine, what's the use? Do you really think that this will ever amount to anything? Your sermons are weak. You couldn't get people to come forward at an altar call if you paid them. (laughs) And not only that, the enemy whispers, it's never going to change. So you should quit. Go work at Target. Go be a car salesman. Do anything. But stop preaching. It's doing no good. I remember at one point in the second church that I now pastor, when we were in the formative years of transition and it was dark discouragement was thick and honestly in that season I really I didn't know how to pray my way out of it I I felt like the only thing that I could pray and it was a it was a word and I remember it so distinctly I got to the place where I was just on my face before God and there was only one word that I could 
muster. And it was the word mercy. Mercy, God. I'm just asking for mercy. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to walk through this. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I need mercy. And he granted it. His mercies are new every morning. It doesn't fail. And he showed me mercy. And some of you men today, that's your story. That's where you're at right now. You've sown in tears and you're coming here wondering, when am I going to reap in joy? When am I going to exchange the garments of heaviness for the garments of praise? You're asking God, am I going to reap before I lose heart? Your hands are to the plow, but you find the temptation within to look back. Someone said it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. And if we want to see a greater work of God's spirit in our lives, then we not only need to know that we're called, but we must remain faithful in that calling. But the third thing I find about Elisha's life that primed him, I believe, for a double portion of the work of God's spirit is that he was unwilling to settle for less than what God had for him. As Elijah is preparing to leave, Elisha was following him every step of the way. And there were well-meaning people who were standing in the way. And in that process that Elijah or Elisha goes through following Elijah, he has to deal with a number of people. He has to deal with the school of the prophets, discouraging him from following Elijah. And as these prophets are speaking to him, they're saying, why are you following him? Why are you still with that old guy? He's leaving. Stay here. Stay with us. You don't need to be so zealous. Hey, this is a, this is a different generation we're entering into. Why are you still doing that? Why don't, don't you know? You need to be a little more relevant. You need to be a little more this. You need to be, come on, Elisha, hang out with us, man. We're, we're in the school of prophets. Come with us. Even Elijah kept saying to Elisha, stay behind. Perhaps that was a test. But Elisha would not settle for less than what God had for him. He said, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving here until it happens. I'm not going to stop following you until I see it. I'm not going anywhere. This is where I am. This is where I'm called. And I'm not going until I receive all that the Lord has for me. And sometimes you just feel like Jacob clinging to the Lord, wrestling with him, saying, God, please don't go unless you bless me. And Elisha is saying, I'm not settling for less, God. I want all that you have for me. I'm not going to grow complacent. Men, listen, ask yourself the question. I pose it to myself. Have you settled for less? Have you stopped charging the hills of ministry? Have you stopped taking risks and stepping out in faith? We cannot come to the place where we falsely assume that we've arrived or that there's no more giants to fight or no more territory to conquer. We will not arrive until we arrive. And so we don't stop pressing in to all that the Lord has for us, regardless of the suggestions of others. We don't grow settled. We have to press on. And I see in this passage, Elisha not settling for less. He wants all that God has for him. And I believe that that's why we're here. 
We want all that God has for us. He chooses our inheritance for us. So Lord, choose it. Lord, let your will be done. But we want all that you have and we don't want anything to stand in the way of that. But I also see in this passage that a greater work of God's spirit comes to the life of a man that yields to the process of God's work within his life. Some have a tendency to fight what God is wanting to do rather than yield to it. We resist the work of the Holy Spirit, unwilling to be led by the Spirit. But there is a process that each man here goes through. Before Elijah's departure in the chariot of fire, there are four locations that Elisha and Elijah will stop at. And each location was significant in the history of the nation of Israel. And I believe that these locations are significant in our own lives as it relates to a greater work of God's Spirit. Pay close attention. The first place that they stopped was Gilgal. And in many ways, Gilgal is a place of purification. You may recall when the nation of Israel was delivered from the bondage of Egypt that they came to the border of the promised land and they would not trust God. And so that first generation ended up wandering in the longest funeral march ever and they all died. And then the next generation entered into and crossed over the Jordan, into the promised land. And they came, the Bible says, to Gilgal. And in Joshua chapter 5, they were commanded to circumcise all the males prior to going into war. And circumcision was the outward sign of identification that God had given to Abraham. Yet in a spiritual sense, it represented the cutting away of the flesh. It was the purification of the person, spiritually, physically, And if we are longing for a greater work of God's Spirit within our lives and within the church, we need to be purified. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The psalmist declared, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There is the need, men, for us to deal with the flesh and deal with it drastically. It needs to be cut away. Listen, the Bible says the flesh profits nothing. But the interesting thing about the flesh is it can produce something. But it doesn't profit anything. The Bible says those that are in the flesh cannot please God. The fleshly part of our ministry that is self-focused instead of Jesus-focused, listen carefully, it hinders the work of the Spirit for the work of the Spirit focuses all attention upon Jesus. So where do we come to this place in trying to do the work of the ministry in the effort of the flesh by drawing attention to ourselves? We are quenching the work of the Spirit. And I don't want to quench the work of the Spirit. I want to draw people's attention to Jesus. You recall that before the priests of the Old Testament would enter into service, they would go through this ceremony, as it were, of purification as blood was shed and it was placed upon their ear that everything they heard was to be purified. All that on their hand, everything they handled on their feet, everywhere they went, covered, sanctified, purified by blood. I believe if we're going to see a greater work of the moving of God's Spirit, 
that which grieves the spirit, that which quenches the spirit in the form of the flesh must be dealt with. It was A.W. Tozer. You perhaps are well aware of that quote. He said, if the Holy Spirit departed from the church, 95% of what takes place would still continue and no one would know the difference. There's a sad indictment upon the church today, but may it not be said of us. May it not be said. May the purification and the work be done. Following Gilgal, the next place that they stopped was Bethel. And Bethel, in a sense, is a place of revelation of who God is. It was Jacob there in Genesis chapter 28 that was on the run from his brother Esau, having stolen his birthright and his blessing. And he stopped in this place formerly called Luz. And that night, he slept having a rock for a pillow. And the Bible says that the Lord appeared to him in a dream and he saw a ladder. He saw angels ascending and descending, ascending to heaven. And when he woke up, he said, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. And he called that place Bethel, which is translated house of God. Jacob came to a place at Bethel of a fresh revelation of who God is. And I believe that's something that we need, as we saw even last night personally and and corporately here, a fresh revelation of who God is in his nature, in his character as revealed within his word, his plan, his purpose for us, a revelation of who God is. And when you have a revelation of who God is, you long for more of who of God who God is you long for more of a double portion listen if you don't have a revelation of who God is why would you want more of who he is and so we come to Bethel and we say God reveal yourself Lord, I feel like I'm scratching the surface. The half hasn't been told to me. I feel like I only know in part, just as the Bible says. But Lord, let the Spirit of God reveal the deep things of God to me. I want more of you. Do you have a longing for a greater revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ? Do you echo the words of David that said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul is panting after you. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Man, we need a hunger for a greater revelation of God. The next place that they came was to Jericho. And to me, Jericho stands as a place of submission. As Joshua one evening stood outside of the city of Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and he looked at it, The Bible says that, behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn and in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And the response was not an answer to the question. He just said, no. That's startling. And then he said to Joshua, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. As Joshua stood outside of Jericho, seeing the Lord, he submitted, didn't he? He said, What would my Lord say to his servant? Men, if there's to be a greater outpouring of God's Spirit, a double portion of the Spirit, we must submit to God. We must surrender to God. Not just sing it, but actually live it. 
Am I submitted to the Lord? Are you submitted to the Lord? Ask yourself the question, is there any area in your life at this moment in your ministry that you are not submitted to God? If that is the case, there is the need for repentance. Submit to God. Someone said, give your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. And I believe that that is true. The final place that they came to was the Jordan. And as they came to the Jordan, Elijah picked up his mantle and he struck the Jordan and they both crossed over together. And for me, when I think of the Jordan as revealed in Scripture, it reminds me of inauguration, the beginning, the start. The children of Israel, when they crossed over the Jordan, came into the promised land. I think of Jesus going into the Jordan and being baptized and coming out and the Spirit of God coming upon him and his ministry from that moment on. That's where it began. That's where it started. Crossing over the Jordan represents the crossing over into the victorious Christian life, the fullness of God's Spirit. And as they are now on the other side of the Jordan, Elijah then says to Elisha, ask. I love that. Ask. You remember Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Up to this point, you've asked nothing. Ask. It's it's an invitation. Ask what you desire. Ask the Lord for it. And so Elisha doesn't hold back. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. That's what I, I see my need. I know that I can't do this. I know that we can't carry on apart from the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And so he asks, the man who sees or desires to see a greater work of God's Spirit within his life understands his calling. And he is faithful to that calling. And he is unwilling to settle for less than what God has for him. He yields to the process of dealing with the flesh, longing for a greater revelation of God, submitted to the will of God, and then begins in the power of God. And finally, men, he takes up the mantle. He takes it up. The mantle represented in many ways the ministry of Elijah. And as it fell... Elisha could have walked away from it, but it says here in the scriptures that he took it up. He picked it up and he went and stood by the Jordan. I believe that the mantle has been passed to each of us here. A heritage of ministry that is to be protected, to be walked in. It's a stewardship. We don't worship the past here. We appreciate it. We're thankful for it. Nor do we disrespect it. But we have to decide individually here in this room whether we're going to pick up that mantle, as it were, that has been left unto us. It isn't just for one man It's for every man in this room. And I say to you, as the Bible reveals it, pick it up. Stop making excuses for why you won't pick it up. Quit looking at yourself and pick it up. Pick it up. 
as Elisha took up the mantle and stood on the end of the Jordan or the edge of the Jordan, this is where I want to conclude. He said these words, where is the God of Elijah? He did not say, where is Elijah? Elijah had been taken in a fiery chariot. He's not looking for Elijah. The power was not in the man. The power was, was not in the movement. The power wasn't in the mantle. The power is in God. That's who we need to look to. Where is the God of Elijah? And by faith, we take that mantle and we strike the Jordan and we enter in once again to all that God has for us in this generation, in this season, in this time. And I feel like for us at this conference, I don't know about you, but me personally, this is where God's brought me to. I'm standing on the edge of the Jordan and I'm saying, where is the God of Elijah? Lord, please do it again. Do it again, God. And the marvelous thing is that when Elisha struck the waters in faith, they parted. And as he crossed over, those that saw him said, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. It was visible. And as we leave this place, picking up the mantle that we have been given as we return home, may people say the spirit of Elijah rests upon them. The spirit of God rests upon us. May God give unto us a double portion of his spirit in the days in which we're living. In Jesus' name, amen. You pray with me. And in response to what we have just read, I doubt that there is a man in here who doesn't desire a greater work of God's Spirit. And Elijah said to Elisha, ask. Jesus said to us, ask. And so, if that is something you desire, I would ask you now to stand in faith. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Broken men, aware of our own weaknesses, our inadequacy. Apart from you, we can do nothing, God. But you also said with you, we can do all things. Lord, you said that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us and will give life to these mortal bodies. And so in response to what you said, we ask, Lord, would you now, because of your goodness, because of your love, because of your grace, would you pour upon us a double portion, Lord, of your spirit, 
that we may burn brightly, live holy, see revival, In this season, Lord, do it, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting adailywalk.org.